I don't care if it's a week, two, four, six, seven, eight. Who do we appreciate? LeBron James. That's who y'all got to start, start appreciating. And you got to stop disrespecting this man. You got AJ Brown, who's a legit number one. And you got Julio, who's a legit number one. One of them dudes got to get double teamed. Who going to get double teamed? And whoever gets double teamed, the other one gets the ball. I'm saying this with no pun intended, but full of pride. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Prideful Ticks Podcast. As always, it's your boy Pride, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have an author, a writer and director, and overall NFL fan and historian, Jackson Michael. How are you doing today, sir? How are you? Hey, great, great. Happy to be here, and uh, yeah, always, always love to chat football. And uh, first and foremost, thank you for being here, you know what I mean? I I definitely do appreciate this. And to start it off, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, obviously you have all these accolades and all these projects you have done, but let us know about not only that stuff, but also the human that is Jackson Michael. Yeah, well, um, you know, I grew up uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I grew up, uh, uh, you know, around uh, Packer fan and uh, loved the Packers as a kid and also loved you know, the Cowboys and the, and the John Elway Broncos. Um, but, uh, you know, I really got into music as a teenager and I started playing guitar as a teenager and, uh, moved to Austin, Texas, uh, after I graduated high school, a couple of years after I graduated high school and, um, was a professional musician for a long time. Uh, I still, uh, still play around with the, uh, with the guitar and, a lot of other instruments and um, do some recording too. That that helped me uh, get into podcasting. And um, yeah, I like hiking. Uh, my wife and I we live with our two rescue dogs uh, just outside out of San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, I be honest with you, I tried hiking once. I couldn't do it. I'll be honest with you. I tapped. Oh, I tapped so quick, man. So it's kind of funny. Every time I usually um hear people and they say, oh, yeah, I went hiking. I always find it interesting because when it comes to hiking, what do you really like about it? Is it just the fact that you're kind of out there? Is it the physical stuff you like? Like, like what is the appeal with hiking? Yeah. I mean, it's it, for me, it's getting out in nature and, and I really enjoy nature. I really enjoy uh, kind of looking at you know, a tree and knowing any species, what it is, seeing animals, um, kind of watching their behaviors. I'll tell you what, man, squirrels are the most athletic creatures there are. If you haven't, if you haven't appreciated squirrels, uh, because we see them so often, just what, take a look at them. They're, they are quick. They can jump, you know, Put put, yeah. put a squirrel on my team, you know. Give him the ball. Right, so, yeah, I'm just going. He'll, he'll he'll he'll. It's almost as if they, they, squirrels can just run forever. They can, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, but the other thing, you know, is just it, it's, you know, you see some beautiful sights that you don't see, um, just in the city or on the road. And I I love being in the city too, um, but you know, we just uh, we took a trip to uh, Oregon. We, we did some hiking in Oregon off the coast. I mean, I mean, it was just phenomenal. It was beautiful. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I will say this. Nature definitely is beautiful, you know, especially when you're being able to be out there and just even just by yourself, just relaxing and just breathing it in. I know that's definitely a nice calming exercise. Uh, but uh, you are a man who has done a lot, right? Like, you know, obviously we're, we're going to get into all of it. You have written a book, The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL. What gave you the inspiration to write this book? And while you were writing it, was it like a process where it's just like you just sat down and just wrote it all? Or did you have to do it in increments, meaning like you would have to wait until you could think of something and felt in the moment to write it? Yeah. So the game before the money is it's an oral history of uh, players who played between the 1930s and the 1970s and the University of Nebraska Press published. Um, so I did a lot of interviews uh, with players. I did uh, 40, 40 interviews for that book. Um, a lot of research. And um, that is pretty much the, the two the two major parts of writing I think are research and editing um, more than especially with nonfiction um, you know because um, you just you just have to organize the information in a, a way that people can understand clearly um, and what inspired me to do it was um, in the uh, 1960s, there was a guy that did an oral history of baseball, and he tracked down guys who had played with like Ty Cobb in the in the 20s, and um, you know for for like John McGraw, and um, I thought somebody really needs to do that for football. I didn't know it was me, you know. I just kind of happened into it. Um, I had the idea for a long time. I was playing a gig. I was playing at a party and um, I met Robert Hurst um, who we, we lost a, 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 a few months ago. He's since passed away. Um, but he was the um, official artist for the Texas sports hall of fame. And I kind of, he had said that he knew night train late when that night train was alive. And I was like, oh, wow, I really would have loved to meet him, you know, to have met him and and kind of record some of his stories because I have this, you know, idea. And um, Robert said, man, that's that's a great idea. Would you like to go to Bob Lilly's uh, golf tournament in a couple of weeks? And, uh, uh, you know, I'll introduce you to some players. And uh, I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, for no. <laughs> sure. So yeah, I'm forever grateful for Robert and and him opening that door for me. I met Ken Houston there. I met Elvin Bethea there. I met Walt Garrison there, and everything kind of started from there. Um, and uh, after that, it was it was tracking guys guys down, and it it went bigger than I ever imagined. Right, and. I mean, like you said, like if you really ask somebody to actually sit down and say, "Hey, do you know anyone who actually kind of has done like a, like you said, like an oral history of the of the game of football?" It's this weird thing where like not a lot of people kind of really would have thought anything, you know? Like they kind of would have been struggling. Like I I know there's some of on soccer. Um, I've heard a few, like you said, in baseball. Um, heck, I even think there's a couple out there about hockey. 
you know? And it's mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Like, you don't really realize that no one had done it about football until you finally has seen someone do it. And that's when it kind of comes to, like, huh, you know, yeah, this, uh, I haven't really done it when it came to the NFL. Um, while writing, were you kind of going out and looking for people? Um, where is some of the stuff kind of like in like second hand, or is it just everything you wrote is kind of how you interpreted it? Yeah, it was. I recorded the interviews and um, just pretty much edited it um, for for the the interview parts. Then I wrote um, timelines in between um, each kind of section uh, by decade, and that kind of you know kind of bridged. The player's story with what was happening um both in the nfl um at pro football um mm -hmm. and and our country and you know through it all um you know i i always now say that football history is american history because you had so many people from different backgrounds different interests um, you know, they all come together, you know, to play probably the, you know, the greatest team sport where you have the most, uh, dependency on your teammates mm -hmm. and they all come together. Um, and, and it was great. And, and, you know, the other thing is, you know, I had a Braves, I had a Milwaukee Braves hat on it before I'll, I'll put it back on, you know, cause I, 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 I got this cause I love Hank Aaron, right? Hank right. Aaron's one of my favorite all time players. And it's really easy to find information about Hank Aaron and, and he grew up in Alabama and uh, you know, um, and you, and you know a lot about, you know, a lot, a lot about baseball players. If you want to learn about Babe Ruth or, or Maury Wills or, or whoever, um, you know, that stuff is generally easy to find. You, if you want to know the background of like Frank Gifford or um, Bar Star or, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's a lot harder to find. And um, so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where it, where I really felt like it, it, it needed to be done. And um, now I just keep doing it through the podcast. Um, yeah. And I also, I also, wrote a book um, called Red, White, and Columbia Blue, Chasing the Dream with the 1979 Houston Oilers. And that that was a little bit different in that I was writing a lot more of the narrative uh, in that. So it's two different things, but both required a lot of research. Yeah, yeah, especially when, like, you know, um, if you're going that far back in time, you definitely have to do the research and you definitely have to find the right people. Um, but you did mention, um, you know, your podcast, uh, you know, you have two of them, uh, Texas sports hall of fame and the game before the money. Um, what are some of the behind the scenes things? Like when you go and talk, is it more like a, oh yeah, off the cuff type of thing? Um, do you guys kind of rather stay in one specific realm in terms of history? Like, like, let us know like the entire process of the, of, uh, of your podcast. Yeah. So a lot of the interviews are done over the phone. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes they're, um, uh, 
sometimes they're done at autograph shows. Like I, I interviewed um, Drew Pearson for the Texas Sports Hall of Fame at uh, at an autograph show, and um, yeah, it was it was it was pretty it was it was really off the cuff, and um, you know he was really generous with his time and his and his stories and um, you know so but again it it takes I'll, I'll tell you a great story from that Drew Pearson interview. And again, I can't, I can't underscore it enough how much research um, is important. Um, I was, I was researching, I was for, there were several people that I wanted to talk to at this autograph show. And I had a, a media badge from TriStar Productions. And, um, and I was doing research with Drew Pearson. I knew he had played quarterback in college. I was doing research on him and I thought, I wonder if he threw any touchdown passes in the, or if he threw any passes in the pros. Right. And, and then I, it was one of those moments where I was like, you know what? I'm just going down a rabbit hole. This is, you, you know, am, am I putting too much time and effort into this? But I, I went, and I looked, I saw he threw three touchdown passes in the NFL and, um, you know, lo and behold, about 10 minutes into our conversation, um, he goes, hey, you know, I threw three touchdown passes in the NFL. <laughs> and I was able to name the three players he threw them to. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, there was, there was another time when I interviewed Carl Eller for the game before the money. And I looked at the box score for the uh, game where Jim Marshall ran the ball the wrong way. And I mm -hmm. found out that Carl I, – right, right, famous game. Well, Carl yeah, Allen – It's kind of funny because every time I remember, I remember him celebrating. You kind of see like everyone on the sideline pulling the wrong way. His old teammates <laughs> are trying to like do the chase down and stop him. Like, oh, man, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a hilarious moment in sports, you know, that, that people get a lot of laughs out of. Um, but I looked at the box score of that game, and um, Carl Eller had recovered a fumble and ran for a touchdown right before that. So, yeah, yeah, if I'm not, yeah, if I'm mistaken, yeah, they had scored a, a thing like I want to say it was like what four or five plays, literally right before, like right before that. Yeah, it was literally right before. Like, and when I asked Carl Eller about that, he was like, wow, you, you know, you, you really, you really know that you really are a student of the game. I remember him saying that. So what it does is um, it really builds a rapport uh, with, with athletes. I think when you know their background that well before going in. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons why research is, is so important. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it definitely is critical, especially when, like you said, you know, a lot of the things that you know, it's always good to have that back pocket information because the thing is, is when they bring it up, you instead of just looking at them and going, uh huh, you can continue that conversation and show them, and it's like, hey, look, I wasn't just dropped here to talk, you know, like you doing that research kind of does show a little bit, like you know, I care, you know, and it does, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that actually just that little bit of extras makes somebody who, in their very first conversation, kind of looks at you and goes, 
okay, you know, you know, he does care. He actually does want to talk to me. He wasn't just thrown here for no reason. So it then kind of makes the rest of the conversation, you know, like easier and more fluid to the point where everyone's enjoying themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and you're prepared to hear some of that stuff too, um, you know, and, and you're better prepared as, as the interviewer. And it's just, um, you know, it, it just – it, it just kind of makes it a, a little bit more special. It, it ended up Carl Eller told a great story too. Um, and you got kind of, it, it kind of brought out a little bit more about that Jim Marshall play because we, we get so many laughs off of it. Right. Um, well, Eller said that um, when Jim Marshall picked up the ball and started running, um, he thought to himself, God darn it. Marshall's going to have a longer touchdown than I had. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of funny because in the end, like, all the technicality he did, but at the same time, he ran the wrong way. So, yeah. you, know, it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like that, honestly, like, that, that's funny. And I, it's, it's funny because I kind of stumbled onto that play because I was, like, growing up, right, I would sometimes I'd just be bored. I'd just be on YouTube. And I would just be looking up, you know, like NFL highlights and stuff. I'll go to sleep. I would always wake up to like something completely different from what I started. Like one, like one day I, I went to sleep watching football and I woke up on some weird National Geographic thing about how ants make their, their little, the, that little underground burrow things, like the little ant holes. I woke up somehow like that. And it was legit National Geographic because I saw the symbol. But I remember one day I woke up. And it's kind of funny because, you know, it ended up being like an NFL blooper type of thing. And I saw that play. And I was – I remember watching it. And the first thing that came to mind was I feel bad because no one really will remember if they won or lost. No one really is going to remember what happened before or after. Like, for all we know, the most phenomenal play in the history of the NFL could have happened literally right before. And nobody really would remember because when Jim Marshall picks it up, you know, you – again – Especially if you look at it, it's very rare for a defensive end to get the opportunity to, to, to like, you know, to score a touchdown, right? Now, if you double down on that to score a touchdown on the – like, for the other – you know what I mean? Like, just to go to the opposite yeah. end zone is kind of funny. So, I always felt bad because it's like, for all we know, it could have been the most – the best play, like, right before, you know what I mean? Like, it could have been, like, a pre-Odell, you know what I mean? Like, Odell Beckham Jr., it could have been someone else who did a, a, a catch even better. He jumped in the air, he spread his legs, and he backwards caught it one-handed in between his legs, got down it. We could, it. That could have happened, but nobody would know because that game is notorious. For him yeah, yeah. The, the, highlight, the highlight everybody picks. Right, and it's, yeah, it's, and there's a great story. There was a guy, I think it was in the Rose Bowl many years before that, who had done the same thing. Uh, I think his name was Roy Regals, and uh, he called Jim Marshall up after the game and he said, Welcome to the club. that did it, but funny. you're right. You know, it, it's it's kind of those things. And and I talked to actually coincidentally, I talked about it in the Oilers book because the 1979 AFC Championship game had this very controversial call 
um, Mike Renfro, the Oilers receiver, was called out of bounds on a pass that would have tied the game. And um, everybody who talks about that game and the Oilers from that time, you know, it comes right down to that one play. They talk about, about the Renfro play. And, um, you know, it turns out, you know, the, the Oilers beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. It was a huge deal. They, um, they won a playoff game on the road against the number one seed in the AFC Chargers. And the Oilers didn't have Earl Campbell that game. He was injured. They didn't have Dan Pastorini, their starting quarterback. He was injured. And they didn't have Kenny Burrow, their top receiver. And he was injured. And their safety, Vernon Perry, set an all-time playoff record, which is still a record. He made four interceptions in that one game um, against the Chargers. But when you bring up the Oilers, you know, and that season – it's that one. It's that one highlight of the. Um, did he catch it? Did he not catch it? You know, it's it's kind of the same thing about about with Jim Marshall. What you were talking about that play, and, yeah, and with Jim yeah. Marshall, people forget that the Vikings actually won that game. So, and, that, and that's the thing, and that, that and that kind of goes to the point I was saying is like, you know, people don't tend to really remember what happened before or after. It's just that one play that's kind of, you know what I mean? Like, if you ask somebody who won the game, a lot of people would say, I don't care. He saw your mushroom run the wrong way. Like, that's kind of how that game yeah. is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's really how it is. So, it's, it, 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 is, it is funny because, like you said, they ended up winning. So, in the end, it's kind of a good thing because, you know, you can kind of poke fun at it because at the end of the day, they won. But I guarantee you, in that moment, on the sideline, because it was funny, because you see him on the sideline, and he had he like kind of left his helmet on for a minute. Like he kind of was just like, "Don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me." Like he, kinda, you know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he, was, he was like, and again, if I was him, I would have done the same thing. I probably wouldn't have went up there and just left the stadium because I, me personally, I, I would have been mortified for like probably a week. You know what I mean? Um, but um, you did bring up earlier. You brought up. Um, you being a pod, uh, you know, like the whole podcast thing. Uh, but the same thing in that 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 realm of media, you know, you're actually a writer and director of We Are the Lawyer uh, Oilers, the Love Your Blue Era. Um, it, take us through the experience of actually making it. Well, actually writing and and directing it because you know you did both things. Take us through the process of it and. Was this was this harder than writing the book, or did it come a little easier? Or you know, which which kind of which was harder? Um, I think uh, I think writing the book was harder. Um, doing the documentary, um, it presented its own challenges. Um, we were really lucky in that the Super Bowl was going to be in Houston. Um, that year and we were um, we were able to get a cable network um, the, uh, they're now called AT&T Sportsnet they were called Root Sports Southwest at the time and uh, they committed to broadcasting it so um, we put it together in about four or five months I think 
September. I think uh, maybe we got the uh, confirmation for it. And then, um, you know, it was on air in January, of course. So, um, and it was, it was great. Um, it was, it, it was different doing several interviews at once. We did several at um, Dan Pastorini's uh, golf tournament because yeah. uh, a lot of the players were there. So we filmed a lot of the interviews at once there. And then there were uh, a couple others that we picked up later um, at another event. Um, but yeah, I mean, the experience was great and I got, to, you know, you get to know the players as, as more than being players. And that, that's one of the, the things that, you know, I try to convey in, in the books in on the podcast and in the documentary, um, besides, you know, them as football players and getting the backstories to like, you know, the great plays and stuff. It's like, well, you know, who are these guys? What, what are their personalities like? Like, like I said, you know, you've got people from all different, um, grew up in all their, their, you know, their families did all kinds of different professions. They grew up in all mm -hmm. kinds. Of, some of them grew up in the country. Some grew up in the city, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Some were wealthy, some were not, um, you know, all kinds of to know kind of people and especially seeing them when they're older and they've had time um, it, that's a great experience as well because um, you, you can pick up a lot from from your elders I'll, I'll say that you learn a lot <laughs> right right yeah. right it, it's it's the thing is when when you because I I've I've looked into the um into the movie and what I've or the documentary, what I have noticed is it, it's it's more of a secondhand telling that kind of peels the layer back. You know what I mean? That kind of mm -hmm. gives a fresh new perspective because you know, and some people were, you know, when I was watching it, a lot of people, you know, don't really, you know, understand that, you know, when while making it, like when you make something like this, right, it's, it's, it'll be, it's a little difficult because when you're retelling a history, you kind of, you know, you need to come at it from a different angle, so to speak. You know what I mean? Because the history will always be there. But if you can have like a fresh face or a kind of a retelling or something like that, that kind of makes it um, different and unique, um, it will be able to, you know, you, it'll kind of have a little bit more appeal while making it. Was there at any point because I know there's there's really there's no like um, uh, highlights or anything like that while making it were you like dead set on not using it or were you just along the lines of well we'll see if we even need it let's work with what we got and go from there oh uh, we would have used we would have used all kinds of highlights if we could have um, it is really difficult and expensive to get the rights from NFL films. Um, and we, we talked to them and it was just, it was just way out of our budget. Um, that said, um, the Titans ownership was very um, kind to us about using the logo um, and using certain, certain images. 
Um, but getting the clearance for video rights, that, that is very difficult to do. It's, it, it's, it's very expensive to do. I'll say that. In fact, you know, for the highlights that we wanted to use, um, the grand total came to more than what we had put into, you know, making the film. Um, so it was, it was out of necessity. Um, so, but that said, you know, um, you know, I really like what we did and, and a lot of times, you know, not having budget to get something like highlights, it forces you to be creative and, um, and do what you can. And, um, it also, it also allowed us to give more screen time, you know, to the players, um, telling their stories and, um, you know, and, and giving, giving them a little extra spotlight. Right. Yeah. Cause like I said, this, if you watch it, it really is, you know, you get to see, you know, cause a lot of guys, you know, you always see when you see a guy, think of any player, you know, you think of the Bart Starr, the Jay Wright, the Teals, you just think of the position, you know what I mean? Like this documentary, it, you know, it kind of peels back and you kind of do hear them. And, you know, a lot of, you know, especially for people who grew up watching them, um, it definitely does make you look at them not as a player, but as a human, which is something that athletes, no matter the era, uh, no matter what era, no matter what sport, just athletes in general, um, that's something they kind of, you know, don't really, they're not really lucky enough to have. But uh, speaking of athletes, there is a very special story you wanted to touch upon. You have met that man, Drew Brees. Uh, please explain the story because when you, you, you touched on it in the emails, and I'm very excited for this one. Yeah, it's it, it's actually it's actually pretty. It, it's it's a fun story, and it's also it's also very profound. Um, you know, when it's all said and done, um, when you know the ending. Um, but yeah, when Drew Brees was in high school, um, he came into this deli that I worked at fairly regularly. It was called Jason's Deli. And um, when I got to Austin, um, I, I took that job. Uh, you know, I didn't have, uh, you know, I just moved there. I needed a job. So I ended up working there. And, um, yeah, I, I can remember him, you know, wearing his letter jacket. Um, they won the state championship um, when he was quarterback and as a senior. And, um and I also remember him coming in with his Purdue. He had a Purdue hat on and um, he had mentioned that he was going to Purdue. And I had said, Oh, you know, that's, you know, I grew up in a big 10 city. I grew up in Madison. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, like, so you, you'll, you'll be playing in my hometown. You know, the big 10 is great. You know, it'll be awesome. And, and the funny thing is the funny thing about it is, because, you know, he was in high school then and nobody knew what was going to happen. I remember him leaving, watching him walk out of the deli that day and thinking to myself, golly, I'm, I'm going to watch to see if that kid ever plays. <laughs> because it was just so funny now when you think about it. But a lot of kids get college 
college scholarships and they don't end up playing. Right. Or, um, you know, maybe they'll just play their senior year. I mean, he was, he was playing as a sophomore. I remember I was at a party and, and this, this story is pretty funny too. I was at a party with some coworkers. I, I was working at a different job then. And um, everybody was watching the Alamo bowl and Drew Brees took his helmet off. And I said, that's that kid from the deli. <laughs> and um, everybody was like, what? What? You know? <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, that kid used to come into Jason's deli when I worked there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had, I, I, you know, it's phenomenal to think about, you know, the career he had. And, you know, at the time he was, he was just a kid in high school and, um, you know, Nick Foles also went to that high school. It's a little bit of a trivia there. Nick Foles went to that high school. So did Justin Tucker. Um, and, uh, I haven't really checked on this fact, but I would be willing to say that Drew Brees and Nick Foles are probably the only two Super Bowl winning starting quarterbacks from the same high school. I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah, honestly. Because that's something, wow. It, it really, it, if, if there's another set of quarterbacks from the same high school that won the Super Bowl. It has to be like, way back it had to be like way back yeah and even then it would be very now now joe ferguson who was a quarterback in the 1970s i know that he was the quarterback uh and terry bradshaw were the quarterbacks at the same high school and one of them followed the other i can't remember who played after whom um Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't want to be in that high school uh district as an opponent you know, when they've got Terry Bradshaw and then Joe Ferguson. And um, Joe Theismann was quarterback at South uh, River High School in New Jersey. And then um, Drew Pearson was a quarterback after that. Um, so they they were pretty – they were on a pretty good run there too. But as far as two starting quarterbacks, Super Bowl champions being from the same high school, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, you're a man with high intelligence. So I want to take, I want to get your takes on some of the storylines that's happening this day and age and what I call the amalgamation that is the NFL, right? Because yeah. for some unknown reason, I mean, like, look, man, we live in a league where somehow the Jags can beat the Bills, who's a legit Super Bowl team, 9-6, right? So this whole thing, this whole season has been crazy, right? It has. Craziest... Oh, go ahead. Well, one thing, if you if you look through through NFL history, this is something that uh, my friend Glenn and I, who who watched who have watched sports together for a long time, have noticed. It tends to be weeks nine through twelve. In the NFL, if you look over history, those are kind of some weeks where some crazy things 
are prone to happen. Those seem to be weeks where really, really good teams like the Bills drop a game to a team that's been doing poorly all season, like the Jaguars. Um, and it, it happens. Um, you know, the Cowboys would sometimes in their heyday lose around like week 10, 11, or 12, and it, it'd be a head scratcher. Um, right. I don't know if it's, it, you know, now they have bye weeks. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if it's, you know, the other team is, you know, when you're the Bills, everybody's coming at you every week. And, right, right. You know, they definitely got the Jaguars' defense their best day. You know, the Jaguars, they were they were on their best day yeah, and defensively. And so when you get that every week, I mean, it's tough. I mean, these are pro-level players. Um, and, you know, that, that expression uh, on any given Sunday – any team can mm-hmm. beat another, but it, it it does seem to be weeks nine through twelve. Um, you can you can kind of kind of look for something to happen. Yeah, and, and honestly, like because I I have noticed that not not specifically nine through twelve, but I kind of noticed in the beginning of the second half of the season, it's kind of where things happen. And what the only thing I can come up with is that's kind of when legit, you know, at least championship contending teams kind of start to lull, lull and just kind of get a little, you know, we're just here for the playoffs. We're just here for the playoffs, which then kind of puts them in a position to come out playing against a horrible team, to come out flat and just come out like, you know, just thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. And then, then they put themselves in a situation where they end up losing. But a team that's been surprising a lot of people, the Kansas City Chiefs, they have been riding this high for the last few years, and people expect them to continue riding the high for the next foreseeable future, for like the next, what, two, three years. The crash that they're having, is it really – should this really be a surprise? I don't know if it should really be a surprise necessarily. I, I won't say that I expected it, um, but – to play at that level for a long time throughout two or three seasons, if you look history of the AFC, um, there have only been three teams that have been able to win three conference championships in a row. It was the Dolphins in the 70s, and that included their 1972 undefeated team. Um then the Bills, of course, in the 90s with four straight AFC championships. And then the Patriots with Tom Brady. Um, so the Chiefs have already won back-to-back AFC championships. If they won a third, that that would be absolutely remarkable. Um, the other thing is you get everybody's best every week. I mean, especially when you're in the Chiefs position winning two in a row. Um I think the Titans game, I think with that, and I think with the Bills game that they lost, those were the Bills and the Titans. I Two things. They were, they were proving to themselves that they could beat them. But I think more than anything, I think the Bills and Titans 
wanted to say, you're going to have to respect us. We know we can beat you. And you know that we can beat you. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a big aspect of pro football too, I think. I'm having trouble hearing you. I'm not... I have myself muted. Oh, there you um, go. But uh, it's this thing where we're going to come at you, especially because right now the Chiefs are considered the big dogs, right? Like everyone's mm-hmm. like they're chasing the Chiefs. What I think, And if you look at their schedule, they won against the Browns. They lost against the Ravens by a point, and it could have – watching the game, it literally could have went either way. They lost to the Chargers. They beat the Eagles. They lost to the Bills. Um, then they ended up beating Washington, lost to the Titans, beat the Giants, beat the Packers. The thing is, is I, I think it's a thing of other teams are just getting better, and certain key players on those teams are getting better. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, the Chargers, they're not a team that, oh, yeah, in two or three years they'll be something. They're a team that you need to respect and worry about now, you know? The Bills – they got Stephon Diggs, and now Jay, uh, Josh Allen is kind of taken. Every single year, he's improved. Every single year. So it's what I think. I think it's really a, a combination of the Chiefs kind of thinking, you know, you know, back to back AFCs. You know what I mean? Like we've been to the Super Bowl, we won one, we lost another one, but at the same time, we lost it to Tom Brady, and also our offensive line was injured. And on top of that, Patrick Mahomes kind of was trying to carry them. And there was some 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 plays kind of broke down because of the line. Others other times the receivers couldn't catch anything. But I'm looking at it and it's like the teams that they lost to are teams that I'm not surprised they lost to. You know, because again, they lost to the Ravens, which Ravens people think is a legit team. And like I said, it was like one point. Yeah. It, it, and it was a very close game, you know, so it's not like they were just blown out of the water. Um, lost to the Chargers, which again is a legit, is a quality team. Same thing with the Bills. So it, I, I'm not panicking. I would, I am kind of worried about their defense, which you know, if we're gonna be honest, is not the best defense uh, in the world. It's a defense that, frankly, eh, like right now they're tied for 27, um, which they've been up. You know, they've somehow been trending up the last few weeks which I don't know how that's even possible. But um, right now they're only they're above the Texans, Dolphins, Jets, Lions, and they're tied with the Washington football team. Um, so the question I have for you is with the way that the Chiefs have been playing defensively so poorly, like do you think it's possible that if the Chiefs is a bottom-tier defense, do you think this offense could bail them out? Well, I do think that conversely, um, I do think that the um, the defense of the Chiefs could be the one that bails them out. You know, it was their front seven that made such a huge difference in their win. That team knows how to win. And this is what the Chiefs have coming into the playoffs if they if they make it. Um, that knows how to win big games. They know how to win playoff games. They know how to, and that defense knows how to bend and not break and how to make plays at the right time in big games. They're going to have that 
advantage over everybody else. So I, I do think, yes, their offense could bail them out. Mahomes knows how to win those games. And look, here's the other thing, too. They've been in the trenches with Mahomes. They know that they can win big games with him at quarterback. They know they can win the Super Bowl with him at quarterback. That makes a ton of difference when you step on that field and you've got another quarterback and you think you can win. You think you can win that game. But when you know that quarterback's already won these games, well, there, there's a there's a different level of confidence from what I understand from, from players that I've talked to. Oh, you kind of, I think you muted again, right? Oh, two right now. Jeez, like <laughs> that's all because my kids, you know, they're a little screamish, and I'm I'm kind of worried that's gonna end up coming through the mic. But uh, it, it, you are right. There is that aspect that people really aren't talking about. That you know, Patrick Mahomes, they've won a Super Bowl with him. They believe in him, and they got that special tier faith. That not only do they have faith in him, the faith has paid off for them with a Super Bowl. So that is true, you know. Like you said, they've been down in the trenches with him. They they believe in him. They 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 think this is, but not think they know this is their guy. This guy has delivered for them. So definitely, I I I do get where you're coming from. Um, and and only time will tell whether or not we'll, we will see if they if uh, this offense can because you and I both agree this is a very high powered potent offense. So if there's a, if there's any offense that can do it it would be this one led by Patrick Mahomes. It is. And and again, playoff games are different than regular season games. And it it's going to be different in the playoffs. And that's why I think I think if the Steelers find a way to get in the playoffs, they could they could go further than I think people would expect. Um so that's that's one thing because you've got Tomlin, you've Roethlisberger, um, you know, and it's the same thing with the Chiefs, with Andy Reid, with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, those those guys have won, and it does make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, speaking of a huge difference, it's what this man is somehow still doing. Um, Tom Brady, at the ripe old age of 44, uh, somehow some way is playing phenomenally um but yeah. then the question is i mean clearly i don't think there's ever been a quarterback at this age to be able to do it but how does tom brady at 44 match up with history yeah so there have been a few quarterbacks that played at 44 and in fact george blanda played a, a series or two at age 48 uh, for the Raiders. That's the, that's the record. Um, Warren Moon is the only other Hall of Famer besides George Blanda to have played quarterback at age 44. And uh, Warren Moon was, was a backup um, with the Chiefs, I think, at that time. So nobody has really played a starting quarterback at this age. And obviously nobody has played at this level. That's what's amazing about it. Um, a lot of, a lot of the old guard will, will ask, well, if Johnny Unitas had the same protection as far as rules go, um, 
would he have been able to play another four or five years at a higher level? Um, you know, all that stuff is up for debate. But even even if Sammy Baugh were to have been able to play at the level he was till the age of 45 or 48, um, it's still remarkable what Tom Brady is doing. Yeah, it, it, it really is because, like you said, I mean, not only being a starter, but playing at a level that you have to not only keep him as a starter, you still have to game plan. Like, this isn't – like Tom Brady's not really being a game manager. He's still kind of doing what he does. He goes out. He understands, okay, this is what needs to be done this week, and then he goes and does it. Whether that means he's got to throw the ball 50 times or he has to throw the ball 20 times. We're still kind of seeing – the same Tom Brady who kind of understands at the end of the day we're here to get the win. What do I need to do? This is what I need to do. And he kind of does take that responsibility on himself. So, I mean, look, at 44 years old, you know, eventually he's going to have to stop, right? Like, eventually. Like, they're, you know, Father Time is undefeated, right? He's, like the old cliche goes, if it's, it's Tom against Father Time, unfortunately for Tom, you know, Father Time has no energy. He's, he's got – an infinite amount of energy with an unlimited supply of timeouts. At what age do you think realistically Tom Brady can, can keep playing? Well, you know, he was quoted as saying a few weeks ago that he thinks he could play till 50 or 55, that his, that his body would be in shape to do it. Um, but then he said he didn't plan on playing that long. Um, I get it that people want to play as long as they can, you know, Brett Favre, um, you know, and all the, you know, going to the Jets and then Minnesota. Um, I get it because you only get to do it for a certain amount of time in, in your life. And in fact, you speak to a lot of guys, they'll tell you NFL stands for not for long. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't blame him for wanting to play football and play in the Super Bowl. Um, play in the NFL for as long as he can. Um, you know, he obviously loves the game to go through what he goes through. Uh, he said preparation wise, that's one of the things that, that Brady makes Brady Brady yep. and his commitment to the team and to winning. Um, that, that takes a lot of energy and, and, you know, I think I don't know when he's going to stop. You know, some of it is okay. Well, he he broke Bart's or or he's got six championships or seven now, I guess with the with the yes. uh, yep, he's got seven. And I think he's tied because if I'm not mistaken, I think there was one more player who has seven. I believe you wouldn't be able to correct me if I am wrong. He's not a quarterback. I know that. I believe it was a defensive player or something. I could be wrong. Well, yeah. Well, Otto Graham played in 10 straight championship games for the Browns. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know if – I don't know what's in Tom Brady's mind. If he, he's, you know, he's nearing like some records too. Um, yeah. that maybe if I'm not mistaken, uh, he has the all-time yards record. And I believe he said it's the one that Drew Brees had. He broke out. I believe it was the all-time yards. 
And I think he can he I think he's second in touchdowns all time, I believe. Yeah, and I, I, it seems to me like he's pretty close to like a, a round number like on his career passing yards. Mm-hmm. And he's the first to get to that. Um and and maybe maybe you maybe you got there on your computer the actual his actual career yardage, but yeah, I'm about to pull it up right now. So yeah. for Tom, so Tom Brady, um, so it's yards he leads all time. Right now he's at eighty one thousand eight hundred and fifty four. So yeah, so that was one that he beat Drew Brees, Brees out for, and then for passing touchdowns, need to bring that up. Passing TDs. Oh no, he already has that one too, huh? He does, but he, he did go over eighty thousand yards this year. So maybe he was like, "Yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to go over eighty thousand, or um, you know," and that might have been the round number I was thinking of. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think he wants to leave a debate as to who the greatest is of all time. I always used to say it was Joe Montana, but after he won the Brady won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers, it's it's really hard. It, it's it, it's almost impossible to debate otherwise. At least quarterbacks I've seen in my lifetime. I'm not old enough to remember Johnny Unitas. I'm not old enough to remember Sammy Baugh. I'm not old enough to remember Otto Graham. Um, but the list keeps getting shorter and shorter of guys that you might be able to say um, have have accomplished what Brady did. Yeah, and, you know, I will say this, you know, what makes Tom Brady kind of special um, and why I believe he kind of can play like this is that if you look at a guy like a Ben Roethlisberger or an Aaron Rodgers or even a a, uh, a guy, you know, heck, you can even say a Russell Wilson, they kind of do rely on their athleticism a little bit. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, and he relied on his athleticism. When the pocket collapsed, he would bounce off of like that, that, that is some type of athleticism. Tom Brady never really was like that. Tom Brady, him and Peyton Manning were like, we don't care. Look, bro, I could come on the field weighing 350 pounds and I will not be able to throw a lick. I'm still going to beat you because they were cerebral. Like they, that's kind of what it was. Like they, the, they made themselves to be able to play a long time, you know? And I say this, I believe I believe Peyton Manning could have played longer if it hadn't been for the neck injury, right? Like, or, you know, like if it wasn't for that, I feel like he could have, but again, we can't say that because, you know, that's now, you know, we don't know, but you know, when you come into the league and you're really not, you don't rely on athleticism and you do a cerebral or cerebrally that I feel like kind of helps open the way for you because even if your physical attributes start to go down, you can still break down a defense. You can still find the weak links. You can still find the holes. You can still, you know, you can call all this stuff up. You can read where the blitz is coming, and then you can adjust the line. You know, like you can do all that stuff, which in turn will help mask some of your, you know, some of the physical flaws that you have. You know, so yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, John Elway um, when he was getting older, he was quoted as saying the game had slowed down for him mm-hmm. um, because he could kind of anticipate more. Yep. Um, so, and it's kind of like um, for guys, you know, sometimes it's, it's a nest pitcher. 
in baseball versus a guy who's, you know, throws, throws gas all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eventually those, they, they've got to change and, and they've got to become a, a finesse pitcher. And, and some of these, these more athletic quarterbacks that you mentioned, you know, if they haven't gotten the, the, the cerebral skills down, maybe the game study down. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I do believe, I, I think Russell Wilson could play, play a long time. I, I think Russell Wilson's a all around excellent quarterback. Yep. Um, but you know, the guys who depend more on their athleticism, um, they've got to adjust their game, um, you know, to where they can stay in the pocket and throw. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say this, you know, the most dangerous type of player ever in any sport is a player who knows himself, you know. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Tom where, like, you know, he doesn't try to run out of the pocket. He doesn't try to be – he doesn't try to be flashy. Tom Brady knows himself, and he just goes out and does what he does best. Same thing with Peyton Manning. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like they, I, I, everyone kind of wants to laugh about that one trick play he did when he was in the Broncos. They were on the one yard line and he kind of did that little, that the fake handoff and he, he ran towards the end zone. He was wide open. And it's like, now why do you think he was wide open? Because he never runs the ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He never does that. You know, they know themselves. So that's, uh, you know, that, that familiarity with yourself is definitely something that, you know, can help propel that action. I forget helping. That is propelling Tom Brady to the GOAT status and is propelling Peyton Manning to at least be in that conversation. Um, but speaking of familiarity, the Rams, is that's something the Rams do not have right now at all. So they ended up having um, – they brought Matthew Stafford in for the first year. They've been scorching hot. Him and Cooper Cup, I made this joke before. I could have sworn Cooper Cup played in Detroit and was traded with Matthew Stafford to the Rams. Do you believe that Matthew Stafford in his first year with this with this offense, can he lead them to not only a Super Bowl appearance, but a Super Bowl victory? That is that is tough to answer because I think if the Rams win the Super Bowl, I think it's going to be more because of Aaron Donald and Von Miller. Um, now that they have Von Miller, um, Jalen Ramsey, of course, I, I think, but, but specifically Aaron Donald, I, I really think that if he didn't get hurt during that Packers playoff last year, the Rams could have been in the NFC championship game. If Donald could have gone full strength, the whole game, Aaron Donald is one of the great defensive players of our generation of this particular generation mm-hmm. players like him just don't come around very often. And he, he is a cog that could win a title for the Rams. Uh, you, you know, I, you might yawn when I say this, cause you heard it so many times, you know, offense wins games, defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. But I think if the Rams win, it's going to be that, but, Historically, teams with quarterbacks like like Kansas City, like Tampa Bay, 
like Green Bay, um, team like Pittsburgh, teams with quarterbacks who have won the Super Bowl or have been to a Super Bowl before tend to go to the Super Bowl again. And mm. they tend to win. That's just the way it is. And I've done a couple I've done a couple articles on this on the game before the money.com. And um I had pointed out the year that um Mahomes the first year Mahomes was in the AFC championship game, were they playing the Titans, I think? Um I think so. Anyway, it was the first time since the 90s. Right, put this into perspective. 20 years later, it was the first time since the 90s that the AFC championship didn't involve Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Steve McNair, and or Rich Gannon. You would have to go all the way back to the 90s. That's just to get to the championship game. And you said that the AFC championship? That's just to get to the AFC championship game. Yeah, those five quarterbacks were involved in at least one of them, if not mm-hmm. two, because there were some there were some Brady Manning uh championship games, as you yes. remember. Yes. Oh, I remember. <laughs> That's just to get to the AFC championship. Um and uh so it's the same thing. You know, I there there've only been I think now 31 quarterbacks who have won the Super Bowl. Um it's a really low number. 30, 31, maybe 32 now. Um yeah. But it's a lot lower than you would expect. The guys who have won Super Bowls tend to win multiple Super Bowls. And Matt Stafford, great quarterback, um, puts up huge stats, Mm -hmm. hasn't hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, and until until he does, you know, I wouldn't put him above – I don't think he could beat Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady back-to-back. Let me put it that way. Mm. If that if if he's got to play in a game against the Packers, and then he's got to play against Tom Brady, I don't know. But the, the the interesting thing about this year, and this is something to keep in mind as as we watch the playoffs unfold, mm-hmm. this is the first year that we have seventeen regular season games. Yes. How yes. is that going to affect teams as we get deeper in the playoffs and they're and their, you know, their strength. Yeah. Oh, well, and, you know, you look at the Packers. Well, if Zadarius Smith comes back, J.R. Alexander, and they get some of their key players back, and they're kind of rested up, that may, I'm not saying it will, but it may give the Packers an advantage. I I know Bob Greasy told me that when – he came back for the Dolphins in the AFC championship game at halftime in 1972. He felt pretty good because he hadn't been getting banged up through the rest of the year. So it could make a difference. But I think in summary, I think if the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl, 
it's going to be it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. Um, a couple of things. So first, uh, it was the t- Tennessee Titans that Patrick Mahomes played in that AFC Championship game. Okay, um, so that – yep, Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we were that we were right. But, yes, it was them, and uh, they, they won 35-24. to 24. Um, When it comes to the Week 17 thing, I think it only matters for certain teams. And what I mean by that is, for instance, we're looking at the Cardinals. They're eight, right? Like, they're rolling – I think if, if they have a if, – if their seating is locked, I would imagine the last game of the season they, they bench Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, you know what I mean, or, or limit their touches. You know what I mean? Like that's going to – I think it's really going to affect um, the New England Patriots of the world, um, uh, the, 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 the Raiders of the world, those middle-of-the-pack teams who could potentially make it as a wild-card team, could – you know, what I, mean? I think that's who it's going to affect the most because those teams, you know, they're going to need that extra week and they can't just, you know, sit guys out. They're going to actually have to play. So I believe it's going, that's kind of where who it's going to affect the most. Um, but I could be wrong. You know, I, I could be because we have seen, you know, players, you know, we have seen that like the New England Patriots have had the number one seed on lock and Tom Brady and, and Julian Edelman and Wes Walker still went out there and they still had to play. So, it is a possibility, but um, but yeah, I, I I think I think it's gonna affect mostly those middle of the pack teams because you know the top tier teams they might be able to get away with the week, but other teams might not be able to. For instance, like right now, like the Broncos, they're five, they're I believe they're five and four. Um, the Browns are another. The Bengals, those middle of the pack teams, they're gonna have to actually kind of push and make a legit, you know, like that week 17, they're going to have to get the win. So that's, that's kind of what I, I, that's my personal take on it. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. That's something to think about. It's like, okay, how much is this going to affect teams that need to be really ramped up in week 17 and they still, still have to get through the playoffs. Um, Right. So yeah, that's that's a great point. You know, Mm -hmm. one thing I think is worth mentioning that we haven't talked about though. Mm -hmm. Could be a thorn in the playoffs is the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think so. I don't think so. You don't. I'm curious as to as to. uh, I'll I'll be honest. The reason for me is this right now. When you put a little bit of pressure on Dallas, they shrink, and they've been doing that. Like for instance, against the Broncos, there was some pressure, and they kind of shrunk. You know, now they're shrinking. I don't know because uh, against the Broncos, people are saying Dak did not look good. That and then when I say he didn't look good in terms of his health, they say he didn't. You know, he really wasn't himself. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it's Mac Mike McCarthy, who a lot of people don't think he's any better than Jason Garrett. Um, it could be that I, I don't know. You know, and but it, it kind of is a concern for me because, you know. Again, I understand that, you know, the Broncos are a solid team. Don't get it twisted, you know. But there's, in my opinion, I don't think that Dallas should not have choked that game. You know what I mean? And the reason I say choke is because they kind of came out from the beginning and they played kind of how the Bills played the Jacks, where they kind of was just like, this is going to be easy. We don't care. And once you have that mentality, especially considering, you know, the, the you know, 
the the Cowboys don't have any merit. Like this roster has no merit to walk around like that. You know, the Bills. I mean, at least they just came off an AFC Championship game, but even then. The Bills definitely shouldn't be as, you know, bolsterous and, and say, oh, yeah, we've arrived. So that's kind of my concern. And, and again, we've seen this story. Until, and I'll be honest, until Jerry Jones leaves, I don't think they're going to win another Super Bowl. You know, like I think he's going to have to sell the team because he always wants to be in the mix. He always wants to be in the mix. Yeah, those are all legit points. Um, the, the, the one – Think about the Cowboys, and I guess I am going to contradict myself a little bit with the quarterback stat. There's just something Dak Prescott just seems to have these intangibles, also, despite you know, um, despite some weaknesses in his game, he's got some intangibles, and those are things that can make magic in the playoffs. Um, and I think I think the team has bought into him as a leader. And mm-hmm. I think the team has started to buy into McCarthy now that they've started to win. Um, but again, it'd be tough. If they had to play Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, if they had to play the Packers and Bucks back to back, um that that's that's not a good back to back matchup for anybody who gets that kind of a matchup. Uh I I think the I think only two teams can handle that, and it's the Cards and the Rams. I think those two teams. Now, not to say that it's going to be a cakewalk for them, but I think of all the teams, those two have the ability to withhold it or withstand it and be able to persevere. You know, like you know. But again, like I said, with the Dallas at best and the NFC. They're the fifth best team at best, you know. I'm not gonna take them over. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not gonna take them over over the Packers. I'm not gonna take them over Green Bay or not Green Bay. They're the same team uh, over the Bucks. <laughs> I'm not gonna take them over <laughs> over the Rams or the Cardinals. And also on top of that, the main reason is because if you look at all four of those teams, all four of those quarterbacks right now are better than Dak Prescott. You know what I mean? Um, in terms of their receivers. Their best receivers, you could make an argument, is better than Amari Cooper, who's right now, you know, Dallas's number one receiver. And each def and all of those defenses, you could make an argument that there are better than Dallas, you know. Um, but again, I'm not gonna say it's impossible, because like I said, we just came off a week where the Jazz beat the Bills <laughs> nine and six. So I'm not gonna sit here and pretend it's impossible, you know, because Remember last year, the Buccaneers were a wild card team, and they 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 was in cruise control throughout the playoffs. Yeah, so, it, that is a possibility. You know, like, like they say, the, the playoffs is like is like a whole another season, and you know, whatever you did in the regular season no longer matters. And now it's kind of like a new point, a new beginning for you to move on. So we'll see what happens. But I'll be honest, I in terms of Dallas, I. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they'll win the division, which again, I didn't see coming. I thought the Giants were going to win the division, and then the Giants thought it was a good idea to pick up Jason Garrett, which I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> it is, but you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's going to be. I, I think we're going to get a clearer picture, you know, around week sixteen and week seventeen, and yes. see what teams have the momentum. Um, 
But really, again, I, I brought up the Cowboys because I, I think I think Dak his intangibles are very interesting, and they could they could create some sort of magic. But at the end of the day, if if you if you're going to lay your cards on the table, you're going to want to go with experienced quarterbacks and experienced coaches who have won in those situations. And, um, you know, realistically it's fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun to talk about these other teams, but it's probably going to come down historically points to, it's probably going to come down to Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Kansas city, Maybe Buffalo, maybe the Titans will sneak in there. Maybe the Rams because their defense, I mean, up in with Vaughn Miller, I mean, great move. Oh, it was. It was a phenomenal move. And it's kind of funny because we're talking about defensively, but offensively, they just got OBJ. And it's kind of funny. I made this joke, and I was like, we probably need to – the NFL needs to investigate this front office because they got Vaughn Miller and OBJ in a week. Something's not adding up. Like there's a part of this equation that makes no sense. Um, but here's the question. Putting OBJ in this offense, a lot of people are saying that this is a recipe for disaster. Do you believe that this will work out? I do. Um, I I don't think, you know, any team adding Odell Beckham is going to be worse than what they were before. Um, I know he's got that, that history before the play game uh you you know that famous incident before uh the playoff game against green bay where he jetted off and had a party um but um you know beckham is beckham's a great player um you know you and i were talking about this before and and we were both kind of talking about that you know we wouldn't be surprised if he's there to to fill the role that just deshaun jackson had you know and just be a veteran leader um because the Rams, you know, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, uh, Van Jefferson's coming on. Um, you know, they've they've got a top three core right there. And look, if OBJ ends up making a, a, a couple of plays down the stretch, and he's uh, he's a guy that can turn to in the locker room. You know, I think that's I think the Rams are golden in that in that deal. Yeah, and. My thing is, I mean, I understand the perception about him, and I get it. You know, I'm not going to – I understand, you know, he's looked at as a malcontent. But here's my thing. I don't think it's bad. I, I do think it's a risk, but I don't think it's bad because, you know, we need to understand his first year with Cleveland, he kept his mouth shut mm-hmm. because they were winning. You know what I mean? Like – now that they were kind of losing and he wasn't, you know, getting the touches he felt he needed, that's kind of the thing. However, I will say this. This is – this. I feel like this is a better situation for Odell because Sean McVay let him know what it was. And also it's also coming out that I guess he FaceTimed Jalen Ramsey asking him, do you really think it will be a good idea if, he, if I go there? Jalen Ramsey told him to hold on, went to the wide receivers room. I'm talking about with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. They went there, put them on the phone and said, ask again. And Odell was like, do you think I'd fit there? And they didn't say yes. They didn't say no. They just told him, just come on. 
And I feel like that's, you know, when everyone is on the same page, I feel like it'll be more likely to work. Now, it is still a risk because you never know. However, at the same time, you didn't trade anything for him. It's, you know, it, it's really, you're not paying him an exorbitant amount. And at the t- at the end of the day, he can, you know, you only have him for the rest of this year. So if it doesn't work out, Odell would just be like, look, at, at the end of this year, I can just go. It is what it is. And also, he's going to a better team with the best quarterback he's ever played with in his career. You know, this is the best team he's ever been on with the best quarterback he's ever been on. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe this could work. I, I genuinely believe it can. Now, obviously, it's going to be interesting because the Cooper Cup is a clear number one. But it's going to be interesting. Is, Obe- is Odell going to be the number two? Or is he going to take a backseat to Robert Woods and be the number three? That's kind of the question that a lot of people have. So I'm going to pose it. I'm going to basically throw that question to you. Do you like, where do you think Odell's going to fit in this offense? Well, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he takes on Deshaun Jackson's role and and doesn't really um, factor in that much, or they design specific plays for him, um, maybe three four a game, um, where he's got a chance to make a play. Maybe maybe they do one of those things where they just throw the ball on the line of scrimmage to him and Odell, see if you can make a play. Um, that kind of thing. So um, that's, I, you know, look, he's not going to come in to be a game changer because they're already a high potent offense. Um, but he just brings another dynamic wherever he's going to go. Yeah. And, and I'm saying that as a playmaker, I'm not saying that, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sold that the, "Quote unquote image of Odell is the same that his teammates for him feel right. for him. I mean, right. there's there's a difference between being who you are on social media and being who you are in the locker room. Um, and uh, you know, he was a he was a you know, from what I can tell, he was a popular player with his Giants teammates for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know." All teams have different cultures. And it's kind of like where you work. You know, sometimes you fit into a different uh, office environment better than you do another office uh, office environment. You know, just like just like we as regular people not playing in the NFL. The NFL locker rooms are the same way. And uh personalities will fit in better in different in different teams. Maybe he'll fit in great great with it. And um you know, and you know it's going to be exciting to watch. Though, like you said, picking up Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, geez, that's that's a big plus right there. Yeah, it, it definitely is, and obviously, we'll see whether time will tell. Um, it is interesting because Von Miller is the guy who does have a ring, and not only does that, he still can play at a high level. So. It's going to be interesting to see how he, uh, I believe he's going to fit perfectly with that offense. I believe what, he's very intelligent. So when he sets stuff, obviously they're going to, uh, or I'm sorry, the defense, um, they're going to listen to him and all that stuff um, offensively. Even if Odell doesn't work, they can just bench him and they still got something. So 
I feel like, you know, the Rams are in a place where they're, you know, they're there. They're contending. And uh, you definitely can't disrespect them at all. Um, thank you, of course, to wrap it up. Thank you for being here. Um, do you have any last comments at all? Um, not really. Just just thank you for having me. It's really enjoyed being on the show and really enjoyed chatting football. And, and yeah, definitely the Rams are a, are a team to watch for sure. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd invite people to uh, check out my website, thegamebeforethemoney.com, and you can – a lot of great football history articles on there. And sometimes uh, I put in, you know, football past meets presence, present um, category. So that's where I talk about uh, some, of the, some of the more recent that you and I talked about. Right. So obviously the gamebeforethemoney.com, uh, correct? Yes. So feel, feel free, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, check it out. Um, if you enjoyed uh, anything he said, um, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it, you know, um, being able to talk not only present day, but it is sometimes it is fun to take a time machine back and, you know, to hear some, uh, some uh, you know, perspectives, you know, from back then, because, you know, we tend to forget that, you know, the history, the history of the NFL is long and rich. You know what I mean? Like people are accustomed oh, yeah. to when you talk about it, they only talk about the big names, you know what I mean? Like a lot of other guys kind of, you know, tend to get forgotten. So it's uh, it was fun having you here, and uh, you're always welcome, always welcome. Whenever you want to be on, feel free. Just let me know. I'll be more than willing, more than happy to definitely have you on. Oh, yeah. Well, let's – I'd love to do I'd, – I'd love to check in again right around the time the playoffs start. And, I, uh, and we can – we can predict what's going to go down once 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 that playoff picture becomes clear. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. When uh, I'll have you either here week sixteen if everything is solidified week sixteen, I'll have you here then. If there's still some bugs to be figured out, then I'll have you right after week seventeen. So that way we can look to see the grand picture, even come up with some brackets to see how we think it's all going to go down. Oh yeah. Um, so that way. Yeah. That way, could you know we could have a little bit of fun with it. Um, as always, follow us on Twitter at Pipe Take. Um, we, we not only do we have breaking news, but uh, I love arguing with people. That's kind of like my thing. I, I love arguing with people, like, especially <laughs> when they block you afterwards. Oh, it's hilarious. Catch us on Facebook at Pipe Takes. Uh, we go live on Facebook. We also have news, memes, and also uh, the, the NFL pickums. And I'm gonna start doing NBA pickums. Um, I, I was going to start doing it, but then I completely got nervous because, you know, if, if it was up to me, my Celtics right now would be undefeated. We're kind of down bad right now. So, you know, I've kind of been avoiding it just a little bit, but I'm going to have to hop back on that. And if you guys don't have Facebook, we're on YouTube at Prideful Takes. Visit our website, www.pridefultakes.com. And not only is every episode of the podcast there, but we also have original articles. And also catch us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Prideful Takes Podcast. Jackson, it's been an honor. It's been a privilege. And like I said, week 16 or 17, once the entire NFL playoff picture is solidified, I'm going to have you here, and we're going we're gonna to make brackets on how – All right, man, I'm looking forward to that. I'm yeah, looking and forward it's gonna, to that a lot. It's gonna be, yeah, it's going to be NFC and AFC, right? We're going to have two <laughs> separate brackets, and then it's going to be the big crescendo. As a matter of fact, we're gonna, that's going to be the whole show. The whole show is going to be our brackets, and we're going to break down every game. 
Like every game that oh, we yeah. have. Oh, yeah. And you can break down potential matchups and yes. it'll be a blast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it definitely will be a blast. Uh, uh, it's, it's like always pride on behalf of Jackson. Uh, appreciate you guys being with you, and we'll see you on the next one. And Jackson, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rayleigh. Back at you. Knew where that was Have going. a good one. That was a great read. Ooh, Lillard from the logo. That'll quiet the two on the season. Second and one for the Bills. They handle the rush. Allen looking. It's out. Two to Shohei Otani. Center field. Let's watch it go. Did several of those inside low kicks. Oh.